work out who you are, mm -hmm. what you're good at, fall flat on your face <laughs> on a whole lot of things. Yeah. Then, once you've worked out the landscape, hone in. There's this sales thing called make a call after every sale. Or when you get mm -hmm. your target or do something, don't have a beer and celebrate. Mm -hmm. Get in there and do it's it again. Because the energy, it's very contagious. Having a focused mindset, you can't fail on that. Like I really feel like Mark Zuckerberg didn't, you know, he, he didn't <laughs> yeah. have fingers in, in 10 different pies, he yeah. just had the biggest fucking pie. Hi everyone, and welcome to the Y2 Podcast, where I interview interesting and noteworthy people to learn about their journeys and specifically look to understand their beliefs, values, mindset, and the resources they use to get started and succeed on their journey. I'm your host, Dustin Elliott, and today's guest is Andrew McKinnon. Andrew is the Managing Director of Taboo Group, a Melbourne-based creative agency which provides cutting-edge creative solutions for some of Australia's most exciting companies, including Nike, Schweppes, One Giant Mind, National Australia Bank, Census, General Electric, and many more. He also dabbles in real estate, cones, and iconic bar, as well as a range of other entrepreneurial ventures you'll hear about during today's chat. Now, this is a conversation I've been looking forward to since meeting Andrew at a Melbourne fuck-up night some time ago. Hearing his story can only be described as one part inspiration and one part aspiration as he recounts his journey through a series of dramatic events that solidified Andrew's resilience and the mindset leading him to success he has today. The themes of growing from chaos and not being afraid to put it all on the line are some of the most important attributes I believe that anyone needs to cultivate in their life to achieve their dreams. His inspirations are brilliant no matter what stage in life and your career you're at, and he's also an example of an amazing, successful entrepreneur. So that being said, let's get to today's chat. Andrew, welcome to the Y2 Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. Absolute pleasure. Good to be here. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. And I think just for listeners at home, I want to quickly just give them a little bit of a, a story into how I first came across you. Because I remember at the end of it, at the end of uh, hearing it, as I'll talk about, I had this strong urge where I thought, I've got to get this guy on the podcast. And this was <laughs> fairly early on in terms of, not early on, I think it was about the end of November at the Fuck Up Nights. And at the end of it, I thought, this is the kind of guy I want on Y2. This is... The stories that are, it inspired me, it uh, shocked me a little bit as well too, but all the things you've been through, but I thought, I have to have you on. And specifically, as my listeners probably know, as I've talked about Fuck Up Night, it's obviously uh, courageous entrepreneurs standing up in front of a group of people talking about their journey and obviously <laughs> specifically where they fucked up. Yeah. And I remember listening to you and you talking about your first fuck up, as we'll, we'll talk in a little bit later about today, and sitting there thinking... My gosh, if, if I was Andrew, I probably would have thrown in the towel. I just think <laughs> the, 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 the situation was completely mind-blowing. Then you talked about the second fuck-up, and I thought, no, that's it. I, <laughs> I would absolutely throw in the towel. I don't know how anybody comes back from that. And then you think you went on to tell at least one or two more. And I just thought, this guy's wired completely different. And I'm, I'm so excited for the opportunity <laughs> to sit down and really explore that journey. But... I suppose with that being said, I'd love if you could just get us started off today, talk about your, your journey overseas when you were a, a young lad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Dustin, the trip overseas was really the first turning point. Um, I, I finished school, um, I rode, I played football, I loved my photography and design students, their studies, but um, I was never really an A-plus student and I did go straight into university 
um, only really to sort of teeter through and, and get, get the marks just to, you know, keep myself head above water. But so, so the, the journey overseas was, was a massive turning point for me. And I can remember, you know, thinking I was going to go for this job in finance because uh, I happened to be living with a, guy, a couple of guys in, in, um, in banking um, from Sydney and they were pretty flash and fancy and they were looking at Audi TTs and, you know, they were very impressive people. And, um, you know, I went across for a couple of interviews with, uh, you know, a couple of the banks and they just said, dude, you don't have a degree. You haven't finished anything. How, how, how do you think you can come in here and get a job? So I, I opened up the, um, the RAG back then, the Australian RAG. I can't even remember what it, what it was called, but it was sort of passed out at Earl's Court. And, um, and there it was staring me right in the eye and it said, dream job. And I read it and I thought, Wow. That's um, that is a dream job. It said something like, "Get paid for, you know, doing what you love to do and hang out with amazing people and and roam London and all this sort of stuff." And I thought, you know, I was just absolutely. They got me hook, line, and sinker. And <laughs> I went into this uh, to this interview, and there was this dude, you know, this cool guy. His name was Ben. I know because he's now my best friend. One of, <laughs> one of my best friends is uh, over the years became my best friend, and. Um, and he sort of swung around in this chair with this amazing, very sharp haircut. And anyway, I watched him go out onto the streets selling coupons, uh, basically stopping people uh, in their tracks and talking to them about their, about their hair and, and really trying to get 40 pounds off them right there on the spot. And I was like, fuck, this is, this is I wouldn't call this the dream job. This yeah. is not a dream job. This is hard stick. Uh, and so that was my sort of interview day and, you know, they said, congratulations, you got it. But really it was a, it was a job being paid on commission. So yeah. as, a, as a rookie, I was getting paid seven pounds per sale. Um, and uh, the first day I went out and I, I was given a, a gym promotion and I was sort of, he showed me a couple of pitches, which was these five steps um, to doing a sales pitch and then sort of said, you go this way, I'll go this way. <laughs> and that was it. I was like, you know, on my own and I was wandering around... Um, this really, you know, crazy neck of the woods and God, I knocked on, I would have knocked on 40 doors, you know, and I was getting told, no, thank you, no, piss off, you know, all <laughs> sorts of things. And um, I was like, this is, this sucks, this yeah. is shit, oh, my, this is, like, I can't do this. Anyway, I do, I do remember walking away from one of the reception desks and, and, um, uh, she said, no, I, I, I don't have the money to do it, I'm sorry. And I turned around to walk out the front door and as I was walking towards the opening doors, this bolt of lightning came down and it started to pour down and I was like, oh, this is just getting worse. And she said, hang on, I'll do it. So I'd made my first sale, but it just wasn't enough to convince me to continue doing this crazy job. And that night I went back home and... Um, and uh, I, was, I was locked out of the house, so I was just really topping off a terrible, hugely <laughs> shit day. Um, and I walked along the streets and it said, you know, bar staff, you know, wanted, mm. apply within. And I stood, sat there staring at the shop and, you know, this other girl walked up next to me and, you know, I was, started walking towards the door and she was walking towards the door and I sort of, you know, realised I'd let her go through first. And mm. anyway, we, she walked up to the bar and I walked up to the bar and, and I said, you know, what are you here for? And she says, I'm here applying for the job. I was like, oh, me too. I'm applying for the job as well. I think, you know, I've just had such a terrible day. And she's like, um, 
you know, anyway, the barman came in and, and asked her first and said, well, how can I help you? She said, I'm here to, you know, apply for the job. And he said, um, that's great. Well, that closes off all the applications then. And, and I said, no, I'm also here for the job. He said, sorry, buddy, we've, uh, that's it. We're closed off for the applications. So I decided to go back into the sales job again the next day. And the next day was better. I sold seven promotions. And then the third day I sold 10 and then won, you know, a whole lot of money on the back of that. So... I was uh, I was a bee's dick away from from throwing in the <laughs> towel and giving up, but I'm glad I didn't. That one very moment that could have changed your life, kind of thing. It eh? could have changed my life. I was ready to absolutely say, "See you later." It yeah. was one, one of the hardest, shittiest days of work I could ever imagine. <laughs> now I think you took that job as well too, because you didn't really have a lot of money at the time either. So you'd gone over. Obviously, finance didn't quite work out, the glamorous TT job and, yeah. you know, the Armani suit. Yeah. And then, so you really took that job out of necessity, eh? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'd scoured all the job papers. Um, I had um, spoken to any personal contacts I had. Um, you know, I, I had to make that work. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was traveling with a girlfriend at the time and we had a 12-month trip and, you know, I probably saved up, this sounds crazy, but I probably saved up about $7,000 to mm. last me the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, really all that was going to do is that was meant yeah. to get me to London, yeah. travel through Asia, get me to London, and then I had to make money mm-hmm. uh, and make, the, you know, make it work from there. Um, and um, unfortunately, you know, I, I broke up uh, from this relationship, which was the only people I really knew in the whole of London. Mm. Um, and I sort of moved in with the, this dude who was the receptionist of this sales agency, Joey, uh, still a great friend of mine, and um, that was became they they really became my family, and they took me in, and they became my friends and my work colleagues, and so I just had to make this thing work, and mm. so uh, you know I worked on it and worked on it. I was out on you know on the streets of London, it would be pissing down with rain, and I would be hustling and hustling, mm. you know, to try and get my numbers, and you know, eventually in this sort of you know arrangement, you try to go for what's called management. Mm. Management is selling. You know, you have to do 30 sales in one week, 40 sales the next week, 50 sales the week after. Or you can just go straight for the top and do a 50-50, you know, mm-hmm. which means basically selling 10 of these things a day, 10 times 7 pounds, 70 pounds. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I don't know what happened, but, you know, within five weeks I was sort of inconsistent. Some days nothing, we call them donuts. Mm-hmm. Um, and other days, you know, getting doing a little bit better. Um, but um, I was very aware of the finance situation and um, the good thing was after, you know, this thing had just clicked one day, I just had to get it to work and it just this one day it just clicked and I went out and I was selling, you know, like a machine. Um, and that really solidified my sort of role within that business, which was called PI yeah. Advertising. And fr- from there, um, you know, I, I was... I made some great friends in this management group who were all, you know, insane dudes, you know, guys and girls. They had crazy haircuts, long sort of, like, it was like we were out of the Matrix. We had coats, <laughs> coats down to our ankles, black leather, you know, pony skin boots, mm-hmm. you know, peroxide mohawks, you know, night vision glasses. It was just, we looked like, um, I think I, I coined this phrase punk mafia because I yeah. thought we looked like, you know, this punk mafia group. Um, but it was really cool and I got a huge amount of confidence out of it. So it was like, you know, from coming off being, you know, a B-plus student at school, um, you know, no one ever at school had ever, you know, said, hey, did you know that you can make a friend in five minutes and sell shit to them? Mm-hmm. Um, I actually get them to trust you and believe in you and, and, and want to give you money right there. And mm-hmm. that wasn't something I studied 
in, in university either, sales and, you know, training and negotiation. That, I did that later. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of a sudden I'm like, you know, I'm making money just with my, my, my words. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started to train, you know, run these impact meetings. So I'd go in there and have a one-hour you know, these, these wild meetings where people are jumping up and down and, you know, <laughs> I'm screaming at them and they're screaming back the at me. Wolf Street. 100% Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> um, it, that, that is exactly what yeah. this was. Um, and, you know, I'd come from a boy that I, I hated public speaking. Mm. Um, completely, you know, I used to, if I, I had to speak at school, I'd just have a sickie on that day, mm. like, you know, um, to doing these meetings and just getting off on it. Mm. Um, was something that was really surprising, but I was really interested to see how I was adapting to this to this completely new world. Absolutely. When you were going through that process of obviously starting to get some traction in it, were were you constantly changing your pitches and practicing around with it, or trying to look at the other uh, the other guys who were doing better and trying to emulate them? How was your sort of evolution in that process in your mindset? Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, I mean, I spent five weeks watching everyone else doing their pitches and mm-hmm. trying to just understand what was what would work for them and what wouldn't work for them. And then, I, but I remember thinking, no, that's not how I would do it. I would probably do it a little bit different. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. And so, when I was in doing such, I was actually going out and experimenting with my with my technique. That mm-hmm. and really, what it was, it was about me being me. Mm-hmm. When I'm meeting a customer or a potential, you know, buyer or whatever I'm selling, I was like. You know, what they're buying is me mm-hmm. and that trust Absolutely. in me. And if I'm sitting here and I'm putting on a facade and I'm not the person and they can see that, then they're just never, ever going to buy this yep. thing in five minutes. So so I worked on ways that, you know, through things like vulnerability and, mm-hmm. and being comical and being, you know, polite and kind and, and just trying to be more soft and trying to create, you know, we would be in the middle of Oxford Street, you know, with a hundred people walking past you in a single 10 second block. You know, mm-hmm. it was intense, but... I had to try to stop them, get their trust, get their attention, get their trust, and just get them to calm down. And untry, I would try and build this environment, like a little shell around us, which mm-hmm. was this impenetrable force that, you know, the, the tooting, the sirens, mm-hmm. the chaos of London, the streets of London were miles away if mm-hmm. I was doing my job right. And eventually they'd just say, yeah, cool, of course. Why wouldn't I do this? Why wouldn't mm. I buy this off you and give you my credit card yeah. now? Right there on the street. Why wouldn't yeah. I buy two of these things? So... Um, so the training, so, so the thing that, um, I was most interested by, it's, it's, was about my attitude. So when things are going well out there on the street, mm-hmm. um, there's this sales thing called make a call after every sale. And it basically means when you make a sell or when you kick a goal or hit mm-hmm. your target or do something, don't have a beer and celebrate, mm-hmm. get in there and do it, do it again. The Cause the energy is like this force and, mm-hmm. and, um, it's very contagious. So people just buy when, you know, when you're on a roll, mm-hmm. you can't be stopped. So it was more of a matter of what have I got to do to get my role going for the day mm-hmm. and then let people see, you know, how successful I can be or, you know, fit, let them feel that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I love the metaphor in that as well too, because I know as, a, as my listeners are, are, are well aware of as well too, I'm a, I'm a student of the human condition and I'm trying to listen to everything and other sorts of people and success. And one of the things that is a reoccurring theme is setting your morning up for success as well. So one of my other, uh, one of my other guests as well too talks about every morning without, without fault, he goes to the gym, he has an amazing workout, he has the same breakfast, he's even got a tune, he's got a song he listens to as he's walking into work yeah. because he goes, no matter what, 
I've got a win for the day. And everything else after that, you start at that high. He says, you can't help but have a good day from that. So sort of that same same thing as well, too. Whether it be sales or getting your day started, but that success breeds sort of, you know, success. Absolutely. Uh, I couldn't couldn't agree more. Um, the, the, The experience was so invaluable for me, just overcoming, you know, I guess lack, you know, lack of confidence in areas. Um, and building my, you know, network of capabilities and um, understanding of people. You know, I've always thought that the best place to start in business is with the with the customer, mm. with the consumer. Understand people first. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to know who they are before you can actually work out how you know what to sell to them mm-hmm. and how to sell to them. So um, we really worked on the front line, and and that was um, that was a really uh, important you know learning for me. So at the end of that year, I went back to, um, um, I had to make the, the brave and sad decision to, to call that whole experience, you know, call it off. Yeah. Um, I had the university calling and <laughs> parents calling. <laughs> I wanted and, you to come um, back home. <laughs> yeah. And so in, um, in doing all of that, we, um, we wrapped it up. You know, I said my farewells, there was tears yeah. and um, we jumped, I jumped on a plane Travelled through Europe to get home on my own, which I would never have travelled on my own. Mm. You know, for that, you know, for, for eight weeks, and uh, and then pretty much um, uh, arrived back in Melbourne. And and it wasn't that my, um, you know, I was worried that you know people couldn't see what I'd just gone through mm-hmm. in London. Uh, and it wasn't, you know, you, you what you couldn't take away for me was that I had changed. Absolutely. Right? That all of that time, that experience, that confidence had actually come back and that, and that I had evolved as a, as a human and I developed and yeah, I, I, got, I had this mojo, you know, mm. magic. Andrew 2.0. The 2.0, exactly, yeah. yeah. So you come back, Andrew 2.0. So I've got back to Melbourne and um, you know, I've caught up with everyone and I've just tried to explain to everyone about this incredible <laughs> mind-bending you know, adventure that I'd gone on. Mm. Um, I did, in the last four months of being in London, I actually bumped into a really good friend of mine, Sass Landy, uh, on the streets of London, and I took her into this, you know, to PI advertising to show her this sort of cult-like street hustling <laughs> world that mm-hmm. I discovered. And um, Sass became a manager too and a gun at doing this, you know, this street work. And, um, and she, you know, within three months of me getting back, she gets back and she's like, we've got to start this thing up. We're going to mm. do it. And... Um, so I'm like, you think we could do it? And I'm, she's like, yeah, let's do it. You know, I'm like, well, we've got to find a client. And so I'm all of 20 years old at this point. And, uh, you know, we have a couple of meetings. And, and, and before I know it, we've developed a name and we're getting really excited. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're out in the garden drinking beers and <laughs> doing all this sort of just carrying on like pork chops, just like kids. And um, I was down at Cuba one night um, when... This guy turned up with two beers, a beer in each hand and a cigarette and one. And, uh, and he's like, I heard you've been working in London with, you know, hair salons and day spas and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, yeah. He goes, I've got this place called Cusco Murphy on Chapel Street. I'm like, shit, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's like, do you want to come in and talk to me? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. So I didn't understand that side of the business that we were operating because I was mm-hmm. just really selling coupons on the street. But mm-hmm. I heard, picked up pink things throughout the, my time and... I went in there and I showed them all these London promotions that we had sold and he actually knew one of the guys um, uh, and he decided to call him up. Um, he knew him from one of these, these shows. So he called him up and the guy said, yeah, Andrew's good. 
these guys are great. They, wow. they kill it. All the way on the other side of the world. On the other side of the world. So I got this, this, great, this great plug. And um, so fast forward to the 1st of December. You know, this is sort of four months later. Mm-hmm. 1st of December, the year 2000. And, um, you know, I'm walking out onto Chapel Street with a little bag with, you know, my promotions. Mm-hmm. Um, I was given... I was given... Um, 30 days to pay the printing bill. That was all I had to pay. Mm-hmm. So just to, just to give everyone just to a bit of an idea on what the business was, mm-hmm. um, we would put um, three, so call it $500 of services, of free services, and this time we would you know, do hairdressing, free services, and we would sell it for $60, mm-hmm. right? The salon would give away services for nothing. I got the $60 in its mm-hmm. entirety and I paid for the printing of the promotion. Okay, yeah, yeah. The client got the person coming in mm-hmm. free. Mm-hmm. So I would say to them, I'm going to give you a 1,000 new clients free. Mm-hmm. Uh, all you've got to do is service them with these things that I'm going to sell for $60 mm-hmm. and you've got to make them want to come back mm-hmm. and start driving word of mouth because it was all about word of mouth advertising in that industry and we, you know, we still condone that. So it's mm-hmm. advertising for the small businesses is too big, it's too expensive, where do you advertise? It's, you know, how do we get drive word of mouth? So anyway, we hit the streets, we went out there. I hadn't paid for anything. I had 30 days to pay the printing bill. And on the very first day of going out, um, we sold... I remember it, we were on Chapel Street. I was terrified to actually stop anyone. I was like, shit! So why were you terrified after having smashed it's, it essentially in London? What was the... I think it was because I was now in my own, you know, back to where I'd grown up uh, and I was, there was people that I knew walking around and you're not just, just thought, the side of the street yeah, and having I a test. I told were... people I was starting this business and, mm. you know, it was, I, I think I put a lot on it, you know, and I just, I had a lot of fear when it came to stopping that person again mm. on the other side of the world, you know, selling something. I had no idea how it would be accepted. Mm. And so we didn't make a sale until two o'clock that afternoon, the first one. Mm. Amazingly, we sold 30 promotions in the, before 6 p.m. Wow. I'd sold nine and we had sold 21 across the other guys. So we'd actually made $1,200 profit on the first day, which wow. covered the printing bill. Yeah. So Taboo started off as this incredibly cash positive, you know, <laughs> like I was yeah. 20 years old and we were on the streets now of Chapel Street mm. with a really cool bunch of people. But... Um, and you know, I was putting. I didn't have a bank account, so I know I, I was accepting all the credit card statements. But you know, I'm sorry if the ATO is listening to this. But <laughs> 17 years ago, um, but we were just. I was putting the cash under my bed, mm-hmm. right? Because I didn't know what else to do with it. Um, I didn't have an accountant. I didn't really know anything about running a business. So eventually, I got an accountant. He says you've got to put that cash in the bank, <laughs> <laughs> and you've got to start doing things properly. Yeah. Which you know, which all sort of happened, but. Before I knew it, we were opening an office in Sydney and we were hiring a lot of really interesting, cool young kids. Mm-hmm. We weren't doing the crazy impact meetings. Um, we're trying to keep it much more cool and like, <laughs> you know, we relaxed yeah. and we were just like, everything's real, you know. Um, but it was still hard, you know, we were mm-hmm. trying to get, you know, encourage and teach and train people and keep the vibe going mm-hmm. when these cool kids were going out there and just getting washed and punched up by the yeah. customer. Selling, you know, coming home like, how'd you go, man? Yeah, just another donut. Days and days of great people going out and selling nothing. But on the same token, we had, you know, we, I'm so proud of the people that we've actually had working at the agency back in those days. Mm -hmm. And what they've gone on to achieve uh, has been mind blowing. Like I could, uh, you know, I don't want to rattle it off now, but 
you know, I could write a small book on all of the great people that came in and started selling coupons on the street and who went on to create, you know, amazing brands and businesses. Well, then looking at yourself and obviously your evolution, then do you think, is it that these, the people that you brought on to go through that were going through the same journey as yourself as well too and sort of unlocking those skill sets and obviously challenging their mindsets by having to be on the street and do exactly what you talked about earlier? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So first of all, the people that were not strong enough didn't last. Mm, weeded out automatically. They weeded out. So they would look at this and they'd go, that's not for me. Mm-hmm. And the amount of times I see it, this isn't for me, right? Mm-hmm. I'd be like, cool, yeah. good, glad you know. Yeah. Sometimes I'd get someone saying, mm, I'm not sure. And i go, that's okay. I wasn't sure either. Mm-hmm. Stick it out. Give it another, give me a week. Just give me one week and give it your best because... You know, it changed my life and I did it for, you know, if I, if I made a decision at the end of my first day, it would be a different decision to making that decision after seven days. So yeah. just do that. Um, and so they, you know, you look at the job and they say, can I possibly stop someone in the street? Can I possibly knock on that door and ask someone, you know, mm. and do this amazing immediate sales pitch? Um, and then I think it gets down to the people that were good at it were determined. Mm. The people Great. that were good at it were just were um, told, they understood that what people saying no to them wasn't a personal attack. Mm. People can say no. They can say no for any particular reason. They're having a bad day. Money's not, you know, the type of money. They're very happy with whoever's providing that service for them elsewhere. Mm. Don't take it personally. Just, mm. You know, it just keeps seeing more and more people. So, um, so what ended up happening is we built these amazingly talented, strong, creative people, but... Um, unfortunately for us, the industry started to, you know, we would, we had soaked the market mm. you know, and we had three competing businesses in Sydney, all doing the same, mm-hmm. all come had come over from, um, from England. And so there was people street pitching uh, and, and by the end yeah. of the, you know, year four, it was, we were getting this, you know, no, 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 I've had this, I get this every day. Mm-hmm. Stop, stop, you know, and that was starting to, you know, people were starting to get hurt by that, like you know, getting yelled at and, you know, sort of we're feeling like we're harassing people, which is never good. Mm, So so for us, we needed to start considering for the agency of Taboo how we were going to, you know, move across and start to grow up as a business and evolve into actually a legitimate agency model that didn't rely on street sales and Mm -hmm. salespeople. Um, and so one by one, little interesting jobs started to come through, um, but I needed to take my attention off that and actually try and apply it into these new streams of revenue. One of the, um, one of the streams of revenue was, excuse me, was, um, was, you know, and I think it was probably also me getting caught up in, you know, in, uh, uh, social circles that I probably wanted to be part of mm-hmm. <laughs> and getting asked, hey, do you want to do this business with us? Because, you know, I look, appeared to be a young, successful person mm-hmm. to those guys. And, um, and so I was like, yeah, great, let's do it. Let's go and create a, a shop and, you know, put clothes in it and everything will be great because I'm really good at business. You know, mm-hmm. this is by the age of 23. <laughs> um, so we opened, you know, I opened up a concept store called Sandinista. Um, which had this hairdressing place at the top and clothes downstairs. And I'd started a clothing label, so I put my clothing label in the clothing store and then, to, you know, taking selling coupons for the hairdressing place by selling them in from the street level mm-hmm. to put them in upstairs. And, 
you know, it all just seemed too easy. I was like, yeah, this is going to be great. Anyway, I, um, I mean, that was probably one of the biggest whacks I reckon I had, you know, it was, you know, it was probably a two year project where, you know, I, I was sort of using this thing that I'd heard a silent investor. I was a silent, in, at the age of 23, it, yeah. I was a silent investor. Um, because I didn't really want to be that, you know, didn't, sounds terrible, but I didn't really want to be associated with that business. Mm -hmm. It was more that, you know, I was an investor and I wanted to enjoy the upside. Mm -hmm. But actually, as it turned out, I was, had to deal with the downside. The downside was that, you know, the business partners I went into, they, they really didn't know, you know, either what they were doing and we were all blind. Um, and, um, I wasn't getting good reports and, you know, so eventually, um, you know, to uncover this horrible debt that this business is actually in. So mm. it took, you know, a long time to get to the bottom of it. Uh, and I find out that we're in, you know, $150,000 of debt and it's got, you know, I, we're being sued. So do you remember, you, you, do you remember when you first got that notice that you were that kind of debt? Do you remember how you felt? Yeah, um, I do. I was in Orange Cafe in Windsor and um, I had been asking the guy that had been, you know, my business partner, can, can I see the finances, please, for quite some time. Because um, I'm like, I'm starting to hear things through the grapevine mm. that we're not paying people and the suppliers, are, you know, I feel, can we, you know, I got a phone call from this guy who said, this guy's not mm. being paid. And I said, you need to tell me where the finance is at. So he presented this piece of paper to me and it said, you know, we're $69,000 in debt. And I'm like, right, not good. Mm. I said, I'm going to change this around a bit. You are not going to get on a salary. You're not on the salary and you don't need that special office up in the corner mm -hmm. because we can't afford it because mm -hmm. we've got some debt here. Me, I will do your job for nothing and I'll fix this situation, right? So I took the job over. So I was more sort of like angry. I felt a little bit betrayed and I said, I'll, I'll step in and do this job. Mm -hmm. Anyway, within seven days, I've learned that it's not $69,000 that we're in debt. It's one hundred and fifty, and. <laughs> Wow. Some notices turn up at the front door. I open it up. Some court notices mm. appear in court. You know, we're suing you for $30,000. And every time one of these letters came, you know, it was just like another blow. It's mm. like more money, more money, more money. Um, so we had three court notices um, that had been served within the first seven days. And I had a lot of irate suppliers calling up, um, all wanting their money. I had staff saying, where's our superannuation? Mm -hmm. uh, I had staff saying, you know, trying to, it was just a nightmare. Mm -hmm. Like, and when I say nightmare, I've had, as you said earlier, a whole lot of shit things have happened in my days, <laughs> but this still takes the cake. So, mm -hmm. um, so I had to leave my, you know, my innings at Taboo and leave the business to try and operate, you know, as it was. And, Try and get in and fix this mess that, that it was. You were, I think we said you were 20, 25, 26 at the time as well too. Yeah. So when you were stepping into that business, obviously in terms of a, an acumen point of view, did, did you, were you just kind of going, fuck it, I just need to sort this out and I'll figure it out when I get there kind of thing? Or how, you know, to turn a business around like that, yeah. you know, what sort of knowledge were you coming in with yeah. before that? I guess? Good, good question. So, so first of all, the knowledge was, if I don't spend the money, like if I'm not <laughs> costing the business money, then I'm definitely saving the money. Yeah. So that was the first thing. I'm going to do this job free. The second thing I did was I looked. There was two, two businesses. There was this hair salon and there was a retail business. The hair salon made money. The retail business didn't take, make mm. money, but the hair salon was upstairs and out of sight and invisible. 
So I said, I'm going to move all the hair downstairs. Mm -hmm. So we got rid of this retail. We sold off all this excess stock and put the hair cell in front and centre with a front window on Chapel Street. So, and then I sold the business. Mm. I, I found buyers, not for the clothing store, but for the hair salon. But this is where I, you know, so I, I didn't have the, that much support from my business partners at the time, so I was very much on my own. Mm. Um, they had sort of just disappeared. And, um, you know, we had this tax bill of $38,000, which I ended up having to borrow from my family um, to, you know, to stop, you know, that. Mm. Um, and so I'd borrowed money. For, it was just so messy. I'd borrowed money to, from these people to try and stop this. And then I was on payment plans over here. And, like, it was... And then the business partners, they just were, were not around. Mm. So we... Um, I ended up selling the business. And to remove myself from the business partners, I bought it myself back with the buyer, <laughs> which was mistake number two. <laughs> Basically, you know, that was another, you know, I had to then repay off the debt mm. from the first business, which, you know, that was three years of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to sue one of the business partners to try and get him to front up his cash. Um, meanwhile, the other business partner was locked out, you know, because we were suspecting crime. Mm. Um, so it was... Wow. Real, you know, real quagmire. Um, the new business partners, you know, the same shit happened. So we went into debt, sold the business off for a pittance. I then had to deal with that debt. Mm-hmm. Um, and the debt that was left after the second innings, one of the business partners died, leaving me with his share of the debt too. So <laughs> it was just, you know, one misfortune after another. Mm. And I think one of the only things that that I really take any solace from all of that at the time was this is going to make a great chapter <laughs> if I ever write a book <laughs> or, it's, or when I get up and talk at fuck up night, this is going to be a great slide. So, um, you know, my brother, I had various sort of mentors and, you know, brother, you know, my brother James, who is my business partner at the moment in Taboo, and I remember him saying, well, you kind of stick your head out. So, if, you know, eventually you're going to stick your head out far enough, you're going to lose, you know, you're going to get chopped <laughs> off. And then the next thing he said was, you know, the sweet's not as sweet without the sour. Mm. So you're tasting the sour, it's the bitter pill, um, wait till you get on the other side and you're going to be happier again. And, um, and I truly, truly believe that. You know, if we go through life and we are, everything's just okay mm. and you don't have any real failure or any real problems, then it's actually hard to recognise when life is good. Absolutely. So if life is always just sitting on an, on an even keel and you're not challenging yourself then, and you're not failing and falling on your face, then you're actually, you know, you can't see when life is good. Mm-hmm. You will actually just see life being normal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we feel pain, when we feel sadness, it is a contrast to when we feel happiness and that's when we feel happiness, we can actually feel more elated than just Absolutely. normal happiness because of being able to compare it. Um, <clears throat> I've also got theories around coming out of, you know, you know, and this is something from the fuck up night that I spoke at recently. Um, you know, I've, I've had to theorize a lot of this failure conversation. And, um, you know, we watch a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, talk and we, we do this thing where we plot our lifeline. Mm. Um, five minutes, you present your whole life in five minutes summarized by the highs mm-hmm. and the lows. Mm-hmm. This, the line in the middle is life being normal and the rest of it is up, down, up, down or flat, 
mm-hmm. you know, or curved, or you know, my life is like this up, down, up, down, up, down. And um, what I've seen by fellow entrepreneurs, and I've seen with speakers and just people giving things a go, that after we make a, a fuck up, we actually bounce out of that fuck up way further than Absolutely. where we were before we made the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that is the two reasons. The one that I just mentioned, which is we have a contrast between when life is bad and life is good. Mm-hmm. And we know that when life gets back to normal or when life is remotely good again, it's mm-hmm. better. Yeah, absolutely. Because you knew what, how shit it was a couple of weeks ago or back yeah. then. The next thing is I think that when we come out of turmoil or problem chaos space we bounce back further because we build a better way that was better than ever before Mm -hmm. so we accelerate and we actually you know excel we um progress and um go harder we're more focused and more leaner so it's like the process you know the survival Mm -hmm. you know theory that um you know the fit the strong get stronger um and so it didn't kill you so now you're on this rise absolutely from the phoenix so um you know, I'll talk about that later if you want me to, which is the chaos theory. I'm yeah, I'm not absolutely. sure if I mentioned that. But. Um, <clears throat> well, I did, on one thing as well, too, um, on that idea is since having gone to these fuck-up nights as well, too, obviously one of the things that we talk about after is you, you find somebody in the crowd and you're having a conversation, you're talking about the speakers, and they go, well, well, what have you fucked up on? And this is a conversation that has sat with me since the first night, because if I look at my life, I'm only 27, you know, I'm not an entrepreneur, obviously in what you've done, but I'm 27 and I think back in my life and I think, where have I fucked up? Where yeah. have been my times, if I was a speaker, yeah. what would I say? Yeah. And I have a really hard time answering that, only because I think I've been so, and I've talked about the podcast already, I was so afraid sometimes to make that step that I didn't really have anything to fuck up on because I status quoed. Yeah. But in the same sense, I think that is my fuck up. That fear of failure has been my failure. Because if I had done something and I had failed, if I had by outwardly looking in, you know, <clears throat> not achieved it, at least, like you said, I would have learned how to make it better or yeah. I would learn the lessons out of yeah. that. But by failing to act, by, yeah. fa- by fearing, fearing the fear of failing... I think I did that right. Yeah. You you just say status quo for that's so right. long. That's right. And I think that's something where I see and back to the ethos of this podcast yeah. that that's the problem. People are just mm. so afraid to fail. Yeah. They don't do anything. Yeah. And it's it, it's such a it, it's a very I think um it, it's it's a it's a it's a cognitive process which I think is so self-defeating yeah. to individuals. So Yeah, it is. Um on the back of the fuck up night talk, I spoke um, at uh, Pause Festival on, you know, the business of failure, and then I got asked to then come in and talk at the Nova Conference uh, about, you know, they said, "Can you talk about the success of failure?" Mm. I'm like, "Shit, I'm becoming the face of failure." <laughs> yeah. So, um, but anyway, I, you know, I have, I have refined my thinking, um, and you know, out of this, I've sort of coined this thing called fail good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is trying to make sure that people aren't avoiding starting any opportunity mm. because of fear of failure. And I'm trying to say, if failing is good and succeeding is great, mm. then you should do it. Mm-hmm. Why, why would you not do it? Because these are all the great things that come out of failing. If you never have a goal, 
you'll never fail. Mm. But we're more ambitious than that. You know, we need we need to put goals and lines and things in the sand. I also have another saying, I'm, you know, with any business opportunity, I'm willing to toss the coin where heads I win and tails I don't lose too much, <laughs> right? So yeah. if I fail, it's not going to kill me. I'm not yeah. going to be out of the home or anything like that um, but, and make a calculated decision. And in terms of socially, you know, I'd, so, I'd far more be prepared to be or want to be seen as someone that went out there and did something mm. and failed rather than, well, I, I, couldn't, I didn't fail because I actually never gave it a go. Never had anything. Uh, yeah. So, um, so I, I think, um, you know, failure is about this, you know, trying things, dipping your toe in the water and it's about experimenting with things. And, you know, like I, um, I failed, well, I won't say failed, but, you know, I can say that by the time I was 30 with paying off that debt, I really only, had, I'd been working for 10 years. I really only had sort of maybe amassed a wealth of $5,000, mm. you know, and it was nothing, anything special. I was really disappointed and disheartened by that, but someone had said to me um, that the 20s are for learning and mm. the 30s are for earning. Yeah, I actually have that written down to actually ask you about yeah, that because yeah. I, I love that idea. Where did, did, was that something that when you came, where did you first hear that? When, uh, it was a really, yeah, good question. I think it was late 20s um, when they were like, don't try to make money in your 20s, you mm. idiot. You're not going to give up on that. Just go and experiment and learn a whole lot of shit. You know, mm-hmm. work out who you are, mm-hmm. what you're good at, fail it, you know, fall flat on your face <laughs> on a whole lot of things yeah. and work out the landscape. Mm-hmm. Then once you've worked out the landscape, hone in. So I've always sort of, you know, if ever you can see my arms, I'd, you know, looking at this, um, you know, a circle, we, tr- we go out when we start and we're like, I can do everything or anything. Yeah. Yeah. And then you go and try something and you go, actually, mm, not that good at that. Mm-hmm. It's fine. I don't need to be good at that. That's, you know, mm-hmm. mm, I don't like that. So what I'm, mm, this, I don't think there's much money in this. Mm-hmm. Or mm, there's not many buyers for this. But what there's left mm-hmm. is, yeah, and it, again, I'm narrowing the field down <laughs> yeah. with my Just arms. Just <laughs> going through the I'm criteria. Assuming, yeah. I'm assuming people can feel. I've narrowed the field down, and I've focused into a channel, and I'm applying myself. And I think that's why when people make more money as they get older, or mm-hmm. they get paid per hour more with more, is because they have focused in a particular discipline, and they are able to add more value or create more value with their time. Mm. Um, because of focus. So, um, but going back into the 20s, you've got to be learning about what things work and what things don't work mm. and working on the front line and, you know, putting your hat in the ring over and over again just to, you know, be, be playing and just to be processing. Mm. And again, you know, to, to be, you know, how sad it, how sad it was for me to go, you know, I got to the age of 30 and I was like, fuck, I look five grand saved it's not really that not that fantastic <laughs> yeah um but i've you know fortunately the you know and that changed my whole attitude and i was like it actually worked that mm. year i borrowed a whole lot of money um and i had this opportunity to invest in a building right on st kilda road and um building it was being sold as the, it was the heart of the GFC mm. never told this story heart of the GFC the banks are you know basically 
<laughs> freaked out because yeah. all the consumers are freaked it. out and the, the government's, you know, guaranteed the, um, the safety and any money in the top four banks. But this, the next level, next tier of banks, they didn't um, necessarily guarantee right away. So um, I've just forgotten which bank it was that owned the building. It wasn't one of the top four. Um, so here was this building on St Kilda Road that was 21 storeys high and a real estate agent, a friend of my dad's, said, you know, they're on their knees, they need to sell it. Mm. Do we want to, you know, do we want to get some buyers together for it? Um, and he was off, you know, basically shaking the tin saying mm. it's 42, they want $44 million to buy this building. Um, and, uh, you know, who, who wants in? Mm-hmm. And I, my, you know, my best friend at the time, still my best friend, everyone's my best friend, <laughs> uh, Grant Smiley said, I'm in, let's go. Grant, you know, he's a guy that's got a couple handful of properties, mm-hmm. me at that time, nothing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, yep, put us down for one. We'll, uh, we'll buy a unit in this project. Um, needed to come up with a million bucks. And, um, yeah, the bank, I walked into the bank. I'm like, hey, I need a million bucks. <laughs> and they're yeah. like, um, how hard can this be? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 you don't have any, uh, you've got no assets. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I sort of, anyway, I, I begged, borrowed, steal, and worked out a way, you know, to structure an arrangement um, where I could basically, I feel terrible saying this, but mortgage my mum's apartment. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I, you know, I borrowed against her apartment mm-hmm. and put the money into the building and I would then pay her, you know, of the rent that the police, the Victorian police who rented the building off us, mm-hmm. I paid her a commission out of that income. Um, and I created a, a cash flow for myself mm-hmm. and for my mother, which is great. Um, and over the time, we bought the building so cheaply at the GFC when they, no one was giving out money. And mm. it was bloody hard to get money from the bank. Mm. Um, but they did it. And, um, you know, we sold the building last year and it was, you know, it was a, it was a good reward, a nice, nice day. Mm. So, um, but again, it was a situation where, you know, I didn't have any money. I just, there was an opportunity. I took a massive risk and had to ask a huge amount from the family to back me in um, with giving them benefit um, and was able to create, you know, something from very relatively mm. little. When you look at your, when you look at all these ventures you've gone through, is there a process that you yourself in terms of when you're, in, when you're analyzing it, that you have to maybe create a scenario around you to sort of help you be the best. So mm. what I mean by that is um, one of the uh, one of the guests I've had, he really talks about he needs a burn the boat strategy. Yeah. So he needs to, when he started his venture, uh, Ryan from Coffee on Q, he, he really creates scenarios in his life where there's no going back. Yeah. Because he, it's burn the boats. It's, there's only one way forward and that's to drive success in this. Yeah. So when you're looking at creating these opportunities, are you looking at structuring a process or your life around that as well too? Because it sounds like you've got a bit of a, uh, bit of a way in that. Yeah, I mean, I that there is. I definitely feel I've got a lot to say. I think about um, the selection of which opportunities to pursue and which to not pursue. 
Um, without a doubt, having a focused mindset, you can't fail on that. Like I really feel like Mark Zuckerberg didn't, you know, he, he didn't <laughs> yeah. have fingers in, in 10 different pies. He yeah. just had the biggest fucking pie, yeah. right? And, and he won because he had the biggest pie. But um, I, you know, I've been doing this for such a long time and I, you know, I'm, I get excited by businesses. So yeah. I want to still play occasionally and invest and, um, and it probably wasn't until, you know, more recently, until I hit 30, where I, some of those investments, you know, those investments have actually been um, rewarding for me. Mm. So I had a mentor um, who told me it's the opportunities that one doesn't take. It's the opportunities that you don't take that make you great. Mm. So I was someone that was always wide-eyed and ready for an opportunity. And when someone was like, hey, Macca, got an idea I'd be like yeah what's the idea let's do it you know before they'd even tell me what it <laughs> yeah, was you want it yeah I want it yeah. right I'll, I'll try and invest some money I'll borrow it I'm in um, until I started my my career of fucking up <laughs> in my 30s sorry in my 20s to realize that actually I wasted not just the money mm. I wasted my emotions my relationships and a shitload of time on a bad decision to go into business like that. Mm. So because I've been bitten so badly, I'm much more picky when an opportunity comes across my desk. Um, one of the things that I will say is, um, you know, so the criteria that I would put down at is, can we be the best in the world at what mm. we do? Like, is this offering that we're going to create, you know, something that people are going to want to buy and we can do it better than everyone else. Two, does it make economic sense? Mm. Like financially, <laughs> yeah. like are we, you know, if I put, is the risk versus reward equation favorable? Mm -hmm. um, or is it really just to put up a whole lot of money and you might get it back with 10% because that's mm. not that favorable? Um, what is the downside? Can we protect it? Um, uh, and how do, what happens if it doesn't work? Can we mitigate it and change it and reflip it and create something mm. else? And are you writing this? Are you actually writing this on a pad of paper when you're evaluating the decisions? Pro, pro, I would. Good question. Probably more. Um, I wouldn't say physically writing it down, but definitely going through the checks in your mind. You know, you're in kind of going, mind. okay, step one. Yeah. Step two. Step three. Okay. Yeah. Coming out to the end, going, okay, yes or yeah. no, but yeah. or just no. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what's the worst case scenario? You know, it would be that's you know, I'd really like to know we lose the money. Mum loses the house, uh, I then, or she doesn't lose the house, that then goes to the bank, I then have to pay the bank mortgage off, and then you know, I'm forever paying that debt back. Mm. You know, that was the worst side. What's the upside? The upside, you know, we get an income, you know, uh, that, that uh, happens when we sleep, the building increases in value, mm. you know, we, the, but by a dramatic amount or I get some apartments out of this amazing building when we develop it. Mm. You know, there's a whole lot of exciting upsides. Um, and, uh, you know, in that particular business, we looked at the tenants and we're like, it's Australian police. <laughs> They're yeah. like the government clients. <laughs> Government's not going to go broke. If they do, we're all fucked anyway. Yeah, it's <laughs> so, all burn everything down. Yeah, that's over. Right. Um, so, so yeah, there's definitely a huge pro. Like when I say huge process, I, a lot of gut goes into mm. these things as well. Um, and I look at what value I add in the equation. So my background is definitely the marketing guy. So mm. I look at um, building. What do the customer want? Can we build a product for them? 
Um, how are we going to communicate that product to them? Or can we make something really fucking cool, best mm-hmm. in the world? How are we going to communicate that product to them? What's the experience like? You know, mm-hmm. is it something that's worthy of, like are people going to be so excited and pleased with our experience that they're going to want to tell their friends? Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have that these days, you kind of don't yeah. have anything because otherwise you've got to buy viewers and buy eyeballs. Mm-hmm. You need people to want to talk about you, mm-hmm. you know, and just discover and, and actually share and take ownership and be like, fuck, this is great. Mm-hmm. Go and do this. So um, so that, yeah, that that's, that's um, they're probably the top sort of, you know, umbrella pieces that I would do. Um, I would look into what my role in the organisation is and how much time is required. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's if my time is very heavy in the upfront, if I'm expected to manage it as an ongoing thing, um, you know, how do I sort of free myself from the day to day sort of grind? Because mm-hmm. that's what I need to. My time is my most precious commodity. Absolutely. One thing I want to drill in as well too, and I'm really happy you told that story as. Um, during the fuck up night, I actually asked you a question and it, it was something structured around the fact of what I mentioned earlier. You fuck up once. Oh my gosh. Most people leave. You fuck up twice. Oh my gosh. Most definitely everybody would leave. You fuck up a third time and you keep going. And I said, what, I think it was something about what keeps you going yeah. really through this process, something along those lines. Yeah, and, and you said something I thought was incredibly simple but incredibly profound. And you said, well, what's the worst that's going to happen? Mm-hmm. But not, oh my God, what the, what's the worst that's going to happen? But, but yeah. what is the worst that's going to happen? Exactly yeah. the same process. Yeah. Um, where I think your response was, well, you know, I'm, I'm young. Um, I think at the time it was your first or second fuck up or something like yeah. that. And you said, well, you know, I'm, I'm out of bit of money. I'll move in with my parents. Uh, I've got some people, yeah. um, you know, I'll sort it out. Yeah. And when you said that, and it's just, you've done now as well too. Um, I think that's incredibly profound because I think most people, um, maybe even at least myself, mm. as I would look at that and I would go, okay, I'm going to lose their apartment and then she hates me and then what if I lose my job and I can't afford to pay this back and then all of a mm. sudden, you know, I'm owing money to, you know, some Chinese investor and it's just all gone sideways, but it's mostly in my imagination. I yeah. think there's a Mark Twain quote that says, I've experienced many hard things in my life and most of them are mine or something along yeah. those lines. So yeah. I'm curious, just going back to that idea where do you think that, I don't want to call it analytical, yeah. but maybe more matter-of-fact sort of approach came from that, you've, that you just talked about there? Yeah. Um, like I've always, I've always had a goal and I always just go back to the goal. You know? And when I say the goal, the goal is more of a dream of what I want my life to be like. Um, and, and it's not about being incredibly rich. That's not the goal <laughs> or the dream. It's about being successful in my own life and being happy, you know, happy being successful mm-hmm. uh, and doing creative projects. Like I really love, uh, I do get bored easily. Um, and so I sort of have my goal of this creation, you know, this maybe, you know, I'd call it my Andrew's little <laughs> empire of creations. Yeah. <laughs> um, and means that I have this autonomy and flexibility to go on, you know, skirt around the outsides, get involved, pick up tools, do my traveling, bring back ideas, you know, mm. work with really creative people, work with talented and successful people. Um, that's the goal. Mm. So when I, you, I need to know what that is before I can then evaluate what the risk mm. is. And I've got to weigh up the risk versus the goal. So what's the likelihood that that goal is going to get further away or that goal is actually going to be realized mm. or closer to being realized? Um, and so when we, you know, when I look at, okay, the downside, 
Um, I do, you know, I do need to look at it in the nuts and bolts of it and say, what's the financial cost Mm -hmm. and what are the other implications? So at least if I was, let's just say the building burned to the ground and we had no insurance, Mm -hmm. I would look at that and go, okay, I didn't spend much time on that. Mm -hmm. Okay. But the building's now gone and Mm -hmm. I have nothing to sell out of it. Mm -hmm. We would sell the land and the bricks to Mm -hmm. to recoup some some of the (laughs) the money. Right. Um, I would then have got to, I wouldn't have lost so time, I would have protected, which is great because I lost a lot of time. Um, I would then look to restructure this arrangement with my mother and take that debt back on and then start to focus back on my other business to, to repay that debt, that sort mm. of thing. And just try to look at things in a very practical, unemotional, mm. sort of um, unemotional kind of way. Um, and also, like, what's the probability of those things happening? Mm. You know, like, I would, you know, definitely in my meetings on that, you know, talking about that building and I'm, you know, I would go, dude, you know, to the, to the main guy that's running the project, have you done this before? He goes, yeah, I've done this heaps of times. Great. Okay, good. Tick. <laughs> you know, okay. So I'm going into business with someone that's got a lot of experience mm-hmm. and I've hammered him with a hundred questions. Talk to me about the insurance, you know, or what happens, where's, show me the lease and mm-hmm. I'll read the, the lease myself with the police on it. Um, so just getting the full picture of what the downside is and then balancing that with what the dream is. Mm. And at any point, you know, it's just like, you know, obstacles are what you see when you take your eye off your goal, mm. right? So the moment I take my eye off this goal of living that really creative, flexible, you know, autonomous existence, mm. then I'm going to start going, yeah, no, this is a problem. You know, this is getting in my way and, and then it, you, you're fucked from the beginning. You might as well not do it. Because mm-hmm. um, you do need to hit a project pretty hard. You know, when you go in, you've got to like be excited and enthused. You know, that's another thing about choosing a business that, you know, I go into. I want to do things that I'm inspired mm-hmm. by with people that I'm inspired by. I mean, every, you know, I've got, <laughs> you know, if I put all my business partners in around this table, I, not only would I have some of the most impressive and talented people, mm. I've got my best friends. I'm in business with them. Mm-hmm. And then and my family, my brothers, you know, as well. So, you know, we've got, we've got these awesome business partners um, that I love doing business with. And so that to me is like sport. You know, I, I, I set up, you know, I set, um, I, I was a sportsman at school. My back was really bad. I heard it, but I used to love, you know, kicking goals and, and, um, and winning. Mm-hmm. And when I couldn't play sport, business became sport, mm. you know. And so taking that attitude into the, into the field of business and working in teams with a goal, what does winning look like? Mm-hmm. What does it feel like to kick goals? It's great. It's good fun. Mm-hmm. You know, even take the money, you know, it doesn't have to be involving money. You know, yeah. I work on not-for-profits as well and we... Don't make any money. We don't get paid a thing, but mm. we, we, we still kick goals and it's good fun. The same process, yeah. Same process. I, yeah. I think something too that I think you said I think was incredibly profound as well is, is enjoying what you do as well. Yeah. Um, I've, I've met a lot of entrepreneurs through all the different events I go to and it, I feel sometimes like they're doing it because it's, it's about the money. Yeah. Right? And one thing I've found is that 
the distinction between talking to somebody that does it for the money and somebody who does it because they love it, mm-hmm. it doesn't take very long to, before you can see somebody. It, it doesn't have to be a job. Let's not even say an entrepreneurial adventure. Somebody who likes their job, somebody who enjoys what they do. Yeah. If they do for the money, you can tell. And you know, there's not the mm. enthusiasm, there's not the energy, there's not the drive, all mm. those sorts of things. And then mm. you get people who they do love it and whatever that is, and the enthusiasm, the energy, the, energy, the drive. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, the the sort of the flywheel effect that creates as well too. Probably that the business partners have accumulated it's not by it's not by accident it's because you obviously you enjoy it you bring a certain level of energy enthusiasm yeah. you're okay to put those extra time and hours to hone your craft to be good at what you do yeah and then you can work with other people who are good at what they do yeah and you come together as sort of a, a you know an elite I don't know, yeah. elite level but you come at yeah. a really high yeah. intellectually emotionally creative level kind of thing That's where right. it attracts other people and 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 on top of that is you with passion and application, you can build culture. Mm. And so it's not, you know, I see too many people go off and start businesses that were just in it for the money, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I dare I say, you know, trading, finance sort of businesses yeah. about sort of convincing people to manage funds and all this sort of stuff. Um, and they're dry mm. and they, they don't have the um, individual inspiration and the individual inspiration nor do they have the um, the gel that brings them all together mm. that's beyond just making money because the making money part of it, you know, money comes and goes. Mm. Um, and, you know, being a good entrepreneur is understanding that, you know, some, you, sometimes you've got it and sometimes you don't have it mm-hmm. and sometimes you're feeling rich and sometimes you're feeling poor. But that's, that's the, the, the contrast of life. Mm. You know, right now, I've, you know, right now I'm feeling not poor, but I've just invested in it big property project down in Cremorne, um, mortgaged up to the eyeballs, <laughs> uh, the building's blown out, you know, the building, the building works is doubling in cost, mm-hmm. the size of the building is twice the size of what I ever wanted, so I'm feeling like, you know, I don't want to spend money at the moment in anything else, but that's fine, <laughs> yeah. you know, when I was having, you know, I had a lot of uh, freedom recently, now I'm really tied down with these building investments, fine, cool. I'm going to tighten my belt for the next 12 months Mm -hmm. because I've got my eye on that goal. And Mm -hmm. once I just get through this next phase, then I'm going to feel like, you know, I'm going to feel free and light and, you know, ready to travel again. (laughs) On to the next thing, whatever that is. Yeah. And that's probably getting into the sort of territory that, um, that, uh, you know, I'm a member of the Entrepreneurs Organization, Mm -hmm. which I'll, you know, maybe touch on in a minute. But, you know, I saw this great speaker called Warren McDonald and Warren had had both of his legs amputated. due to a climbing accident and he was up there in his, in his wheelchair talking to us all and he showed us this chaos triangle, the chaos theory triangle um, and essentially the chaos theory triangle says, um, you know, at the top of the triangle is life is normal. Mm-hmm. So life is just what we're experiencing day to day. Then we go down to the bottom uh, right hand side of the triangle, I'll do it for you, um, and that is where chaos hits, something happens and chaos hits us. And most of the time it's unexpected chaos, you know, where you weren't expecting it, but you got a bad phone call or you, Mm. you know, this chaos can be something that happens once a year, it could happen every 10 years. There's, this happens all the time. Mm. Like in every day, there's a little bloody shitty chaos thing that happens, Mm -hmm. right? And I'll, I'll give, put some examples to it in a second. So after chaos happens, we're forced to find a better way mm-hmm. and rebuild. 
right? We've had the problem, we've got to find a better way, find a new solution to the problem. And then gradually, life goes back to normal again yeah. until another chaos happens and we go to find a better way, life goes back to normal. So I look back at my life and I go, you know, I was always I'm quite familiar with going through that process of the chaos triangle. And <clears throat> the less, the more you go through the chaos triangle, round and round and round, the better you are at rebuilding mm. and becoming more elite, mm -hmm. you know, and more dynamic. To the point now that um, I hadn't had any chaos for a while, um, so I created my own chaos. And that's another activity. It's like, mm, shit's a bit yeah. plain at the moment. We're just plateauing. I'm going to fire some clients. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm going to, you're like, yeah. I'm going to reshape this thing yeah. up. We're probably going to, you know, we might downsize a couple of people. Mm. We're going to move some bodies around. We, you know, that's creating chaos that forces you to find a better way and improve Absolutely. and go through the, you know, this, you know, it's not a attrition, but it's it is a, some sort of survival mechanism. Absolutely. But it's forcing you to fight. It's mm. backing you into a corner but you actually put yourself in the corner mm -hmm. and it's, it's I, a practice. One of the things I love, and, I, and this comes out of more of my, my own self-interest and how my operating system for life is I go, I go to the gym a lot. Like fitness for me is sort of a corner of my life. And one of the things I love is I hear stories like this. I'm, I'm very much thrown back into this idea of um, muscles growing is a beautiful analogy for life and what you're saying. Because if you, don't, if you don't stress the muscle, if you don't put yourself in a scenario of lots of weight, you know, whatever that might be, then the muscle just, it's no longer needed. Your body no longer needs that. So naturally it begins to atrophy the muscle and it goes away. So you need to constantly be stressing the muscle. You then focus on recovery, repair, and you do it again over and over and over again. Yeah. And that's sort of sort yeah. of how I kind of think yeah. about that yeah, is yeah. You, you, you naturally life's already throwing those things at you. So you're holding along for the ride a little bit, but yeah. sometimes you got to go to the gym and you got to yeah. work yeah. that muscle out to keep it going. So that's when right. something does hit you, yeah. you have an atrophy to a level where you go, Oh my gosh, this is huge. Yeah. Um, what do I do? You can practice for it as well too. And yeah. another saying as well that my listeners are probably getting really bored of hearing is you, you fall to the level of your training, not rise to the level of your expectations too. Yeah. So you, yeah. obviously we all expect that if this happens, we're going to do these things and we're going to do it. We're going to mitigate it and we're going to come out looking fantastic. But rarely if you don't, um, if you don't actually plan for that, if you don't train for it, then when it does hit you and you're all of a sudden thrown off by that phone call at a Tuesday afternoon, um, you don't really know what's going to happen. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's um, it, <laughs> we've all had it. We all know what a bad phone call is like. Mm. You know, we we all know when you know we we get hit with something that um, sets us back, and and you know, I've, it's not a nice feeling. You know, when you're not expecting it. Um, you know, the word chaos is quite dramatic. <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, yeah. But it can happen in sort of small ways. You know, it's like don't lose your day um, because you, you backed into a pole in your car. Mm. You know, you've dingled your car, okay? Mm -hmm. You've got to get that shit fixed. You've got to save up the money and go and get it repaired and then move on from it. Mm -hmm. um, don't not let, get the car fixed and look at the problem the whole time. So, mm. you know, there's certainly... Um, ways to bounce out faster, you know, once you are down in that rut, 
Mm. Um, and you know, one of them is to is to focus on what you want and what you don't want. So when I was coming out of the Sandinista, you know, the shop retail disaster, mm-hmm. um, I remember saying to this guy Justin, um, I said, uh, "Geez, I really want to get revenge on my business partners," mm. and he said, "No, well, no, you're much better than that. Focus on what you want again." Mm. What are you in this for? Why do you? Why are you doing what you're doing? He goes, I guarantee you, you'll you'll have your own piece of revenge when you just get back on the horse Absolutely. and you go and accelerate straight past them because you don't even care about them anymore. Mm. They're they're smoke, you know. Mm. So um, so that that was a really killer piece of advice. Is like you know you're down, you're, you're searching for things to try and grab onto, and revenge is one of the, the bad things. Mm-hmm. But trying to actually focus back up. On that vision that you know I had, um, and you just fly out. You mm. literally fly straight out. Focus and you know, apply. Um, one of the other things about you know getting through it is taking responsibility and learning. Mm. You know, like you know, you're crazy if you if you make the same mistake twice. Absolutely. So just take the learning and look at it and go, okay. You know, we've just done a project at work where. We out, so we were building for a great client here in Melbourne. We're building this application um, two years down the track, and we've you know about to finish, meant to be finishing the application, and we're looking at it. And it's like it's built overseas. We decided to build with developers from overseas, mm-hmm. um, and it's a box of shit. Like mm-hmm. the app doesn't work. It just it looks terrible. It, the functionality's poor. The security's poor. <laughs> You know, and so we've just basically torn up, you know, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars because wow. we tried to take on a punt. Mm-hmm. So, you know, was it our? Yes, it was my fault. Eventually, it was my. At the end of the day, I'm mm-hmm. responsible for everything that comes out of that business. So, I take responsibility. But shit does roll downhill, <laughs> and yeah. there will be people, you know, within the business that will, you know, have to fess up and take responsibility too. But we have to take all of that learning from mm-hmm. all of that those mistakes, not dwell on them throw it in and roll it into something to be better next time mm. you know and that's again the process of business survival absolutely i think i think what we're talking about is a framework not only for ourselves but for for every aspect around us as well too so so you're you're a really young guy i think you're what are, how old are you from 37 37 37 so you, you're a really young guy very very young guy where do you see yourself where's sort of the future for you you've, you've done these ventures i know you've even as well too you've got a bar as well too yeah fantastic yeah. gig i love that you could tell this about that. But what, <laughs> well, where's the future for you what's yeah. sort of the next step for andrews he looks forward to? yeah yeah for sure um so we are um the future um, I'm building this um, uh, creation called Assembly House, which is this um, uh, development project in Cremorne, which, you know, I've, I've always loved property. I've loved creating spaces and, um, you know, certainly in my purchase of this home and the, and the place in St Kilda Road, you know, I was able to enjoy some great capital growth on those. Um, so... To be able to, you know, to play a bigger role in property, it's sort of something that my you know, family, you know, and grandparents are involved in, and my dad being a real estate agent. But I have a, definitely have a love in that space. So, um, you know, we've I've put all the chips on the table, or all the chips that I have left <laughs> <laughs> to borrow, to lend against, and putting it into this building. And you know, I've got you know maybe. 15 builders down there on site every day at the moment, you know, creating this new office for Taboo, which is the agency, mm. um, which is going really well. 
um, and we're going to rent out the spaces downstairs and eventually build a rooftop and an elevator going up to the top. And cool. um, so, you know, we're going to get artists and interior designers. And so in the short term, you know, I've got you know, these amazing, you know, building projects on um, in all tied up um, in those buildings down there. The agency of Taboo um, is, it's a really hard one because I bloody love it. Like it's part <laughs> of me mm. uh, and it's evolved into this incredible business and, we, you know, my brothers joined me and, you know, he's a, a major stake in it. Um, he went off and worked overseas in London, uh, sorry, New York, um, and gained this amazing experience through a traditionally big agency and has come back. Um, and we've joined forces and we've been able to apply this sort of street level, gritty sort of mm. style of marketing, you know, which is you know, what we did with his, you know, big, heavy hitting um, above the line sort of mm. philosophy and mentality on how to build you know, global television commercials and big, big, big ads uh, and just have the confidence, you know, to build up a bigger team and better team. And so, mm. so, the, so Taboo is, is never been happier and never been healthier. Um, and so my learning has been, you know, has been really accelerated um, recently with that. Um, I'm just finishing my tenure as um, the president of the Entrepreneurs' Organisation, which has been, you know, those guys have, you know, it's really been uh, a huge, huge help for me. Uh, and maybe, you know, maybe another time we'll talk about that. But um, I can't bring myself to get rid of the agency. I can't bring myself to sell <laughs> the agency. Um, uh, <clears throat> Okay, let me let me let me give you a version of what I think will happen. <laughs> the agency stays, and the agency is awesome because it can create anything. Mm. So we have an idea, we have an opportunity, and the cool thing about a creative agency is we can build a strategy for a new business. We can develop all the creative ideas. We can mm. do all the design. We can build websites. We can build buildings or mm-hmm. creatives. You know whatever physical thing we need, mm-hmm. we can do packaging design, whatever we need to build, we can build it all in-house and outsource stuff to specialists. Then we hire in experts and so we start growing and building our own brands. Mm-hmm. So that's where I think it's going. Um, so the taboo stays in existence, stays in the family. We invest and create side brands and mm-hmm. businesses along that and then we sell those businesses off. But the the goose that's laying the golden brands mm-hmm. is is being looked after. Mm. Um, what I would like to be doing more of <coughs> is I would like to be investing more money into property mm-hmm. uh, and creating more spaces. Um, I have had a lot of enjoyment out of um, Ponyfish Island, which has been uh, with my partner Grant Smiley and Jerome Barazio. Um, those, you know, we've just we went in to do a pop up down under the the bridge at um, on the Yarra. Um, you know, literally from a meeting um, with a politician in the city, at Parliament House, sorry. And um, he said, I've got this space. Do you want to come and check it out? You know, I went down there and checked that out. I said, I'm not really interested in bars or bricks and mortar. <laughs> and, but I saw the space and I'm like, oh, this is really unique. This is cool. Yeah. So, uh, you know, <clears throat> I brought down the guys and, you know, Grant was sort of, you know, more of a DJ, now a restaurateur. Jerome had done a lot of bars. And so we had someone that's like, you know, yep, we can mm. do this. So we built this amazing venue that's sort of, you know, I think become you know, quite iconic to Melbourne. And, you know, some people say it's institutionalised and I take that as a huge compliment. <laughs> um, and, but it was such a small little thing that's turned into, you know, 
such a, an awesome business. Like mm. the best business I've ever started was Ponyfish. Mm. Um, it takes up, you know, a, a fraction of my time. A lot of it's done online. And when we go down there, it's really good times, mm. you know. Um, you know, I can entertain my, my friends, um, you know, have a quiet beer on my own, have a meeting down there, you know, take my godmother or grandparents <laughs> and say, you know, sit on the end and, and just, you know, soak it all up. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's something for everyone. So, you know, the future, I would love to be, you know, doing a few more venues. Mm-hmm. Um, I do need to know where to stop because I think... <laughs> You know, if you've, you know, I've been blessed with the first one that I've done. If I go, you know, another one, it yeah. might not be blessed. So, um, so yeah, just being sort of taking it bit by bit, um, and uh, and I think just keep developing on the agency, the taboo piece, mm. uh, and hopefully invest into more of these brands. Fantastic. Side. Yeah, there we go. So we come to the time in our interview. We're going to transition to the to the rapid fire questions. Cool. Um, so I've got a series of questions. Um, the answer can be long, short, whatever it is. If you need a minute, let me know how to think about it. But right. uh, ready to go? Ready to go. Fantastic. So the first one is: uh, What book has most changed your life? And I'd love if you could place us as to where you read it and what context did it change everything. <clears throat> okay. Cool. So I just joined the Entrepreneurs Organization. Um, I was in a real spot of bother. Mm-hmm. I had um, a lot of um, staff at the agency. We were offering a lot of different services. <clears throat> and um, I needed to upskill myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the members of the Entrepreneurs Organization in my forum, a guy called Paul Sharkey, he, after listening to you know, the issues that I had, um, which was too many staff, lack of focus within the service offering, he said, you've got to read this book, Built to Sell. Mm. So Built mm-hmm. to Sell, um, I basically downloaded it, got the book, smashed it in one night. Ironically, um, like I was in a really stressed space um, and uh, ironically, the business in the book was exactly the same as Taboo. So I was sitting there going, this is bullshit. No, it's a guy my age with an agency <laughs> He's got a beer client, a bank client, you know, turned over mm-hmm. the same sort of figures with the same problems. Because a step-by-step. this by is step how now. he took that business and focused and removed all of the excess stuff mm-hmm. uh, and looked at these, you know, this very streamlined step process. You know, this is you know, how to productize a service business. Mm-hmm. So basically after I read that book, I was like, right, cool, I know what to do. <laughs> and I went in and reshaped the whole business. <clears throat> so these are the three things we offer, strategy, creative, account service, mm-hmm. we're getting rid of everyone else. Mm-hmm. So I changed, rebuilt the business within you know, the next three months and yeah, never looked back. Mm. Do you do a lot of uh, books or audio books or sort of informational sources <clears throat> to upskill yourself? I, I've got to be honest, I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of my upskilling, I am a member of the Entrepreneurs Organization and we have a lot of speakers, so I manage a hefty speaker budget every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so we look at, you know, this week I bought, you know, with the board uh, and the chapter, we bought out Warren Rusden, um, who has been CEO of, you know, 20 multi-billion dollar companies and right-hand man to President Ford and wow. worked in the White House. You know, amazing insights. And so he, he spoke to us for three hours, mm. two blocks, of an hour and a half this week. Um, so I learn from other people, mm. you know, other people's experiences. I don't learn from advice. So I don't ever sit down with a, with a bunch of advisors and say, what do I do next? Mm-hmm. Um, we are very, and this is more of a theory of the entrepreneurs organization. We speak from experience. Mm-hmm. We don't give each other you know, advice. So mm-hmm. um, 
yeah, so we listen, yeah, listen to amazing people that have done it before. Mm. I think it's important as well too, and I know, I know, um, this is obviously a big area of focus for myself as well. And the, the typical idea is <clears throat> audiobooks, podcasts, uh, you know, going on these courses, and that's fantastic. And I spend, I spend a disproportionate amount of time on those sorts of things. I don't think there's anything wrong with them. Yeah, but I think. The other thing is, is that it's a means to an end yeah. and that there's multiple ways to get to that end and, yeah. and you can surround yourself with those people who, right. who are going through the similar <laughs> journeys of yourself That's and right. that being just as good, mastermind groups, yeah. meetups, all those sorts of things. You yeah. don't have to be just sitting on your own. It, yeah. And I don't know if it, this is why it's worked out this way, but a lot of my friends, nearly all of my friends have got their own businesses and that's one of the things we talk about. Mm. You know, we, we sit down, we have a beer, we have, how's business, how's family, how are you? You know, and it's just like um, we we just throw you know you we put the good, the bad, and the ugly on the yeah. table, and we talk about it. And when you hit that, and you go, "Oh man, that's okay, cool." Mm-hmm. <clears throat> By sharing um, the failures as well as the successes, we're actually helping to navigate our own. You know, take those experiences mm-hmm. and navigate something better for ourselves. Absolutely. But without that, we're blind. Yeah, and I think as well too. This is just for <clears throat> myself. As in today's sort of called the Facebook age. Mm-hmm. So often I think we don't really have those conversations. And one of the things I'll, I'll be talking about a little bit later on is um, in a future episode is this idea that we should be sharing those ideas. We should be reaching out to them. We should be, I think at least honest that, you know, even myself through this podcast, you know, there's certain challenges I'm going through as well too, but it's okay. You can share that and you can have these conversations and somebody else might actually have the answer for you or might be able to point you in the right answer instead of us just being, yep, cool and great. I'm fantastic. I'm perfect. I'm amazing. I'm all these sorts of things when you're really not, Yeah. but that's okay. Yeah, you, you absolutely. Can that, so, oh, I've no, again, I've got so much to say about, about all of that. Um, but I do, I do think there's a lot to be said about, um, you know, airing issues and, and blockages in terms of the entrepreneurial journey. It's, mm. And I think people appreciate, you know, one of the things I've enjoyed talking about the failure is it actually, it's an expression of vulnerability, mm. you know, and I think it's like, you know, with the entrepreneurs organization, we called, we celebrate failure, mm. right? Because we want to be like, you know, we actually love talking about it because it's more enjoyable to talk about, my God, you have, you have no idea about my last month <laughs> yeah. was. And I've, you know, I yeah. fucked up so badly, but, you know, we're all good. You yeah. know? And rather than, you know, it's such a boring conversation, someone mm. going, you know, I just made $40,000 today and I'm going to buy a new car. Yeah. And you go, oh. Yeah, cool. Oh, okay, cool, man. <laughs> Good on yeah, you. Yeah, BMW, um, Mercedes. Yeah. What are you yeah, thinking? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, no, and that's just like a you know conversation that we don't. Yeah. it's not that enjoy enjoyable having. Um, but I also think it's important, you know, for the people around you in similar situations, just become more rich with information. It's good to get it off your chest because. You know, there's a huge rate of depression and anxiety mm. on people's minds at the moment. And a lot of that is built up from, you know, of having emotions that have not been released, Absolutely. you know, out of, they're not talking about problems. They're not talking about fears and concerns and it's all being bottled up and it becomes toxic and it lodges itself in mm. the spine. And all of a sudden you've, you're injured and you're sad and depressed. Absolutely. And that's, a, that's the beginning of a downward spiral. So yeah. Certainly just creating environments where you embrace conversation. Absolutely. Um, who's been the greatest influence on your life growing up? And it could be somebody you didn't know or some mm. other prominent figure. But who's been that yeah. person for you? I, um, 
I, I had a situation, you know, in my upbringing with the agency where a lot of the people that I called mentors weren't really mentors and they, I think what happened was they all sort of in, managed to encroach on the business and mm. then before I knew it, they wanted shares and, you know, they, they wanted to be, you know, part of it. And I think looking back, I think that they're not actually mentors. <laughs> they had an, an ulterior motive. Mm. Um, my, um, you know, it was the joining of EO um, where I wasn't just one mentor, it was I joined a forum of, you know, seven other businessmen. I became the eighth mm-hmm. and we meet once a month. And, um, you know, those guys, you know, I never would have picked them. If you had have lined them all up, I would have picked <laughs> the, you know, everyone wearing skinny jeans yeah. and doing, you know, like, yeah, they're like me. Yeah, yeah. They're my, yeah he's cool. Yeah. He's successful. You know, these guys are just, you know, a really amazing, you know, group of people that I've came to learn, became mm. very close with, but they made me fearless um, because I would go in, I was terrified when I started, but I would I'd do these little presentations to them, getting really nervous, I was presenting in front of these big businessmen, mm. and they just made me go, hang on, you know, you're really good, this is working, this is good, mm. like, great stuff, you know, and it's sort of just little tiny steps from, you know, um, and uh, yeah, I've, I've been fortunate enough, I've been a member for seven years, and you know, there are amazing entrepreneurs mm-hmm. in that group, and we because we do spend so much time together, um, we you know have got a lot of mentors. Fortunately, absolutely. So not one person. I think as well too. I think something you said in there was really profound, and something I've realized as well that you need to be seeking out people who are not like you. Yeah. And, and too often, and I think this is just natural that we go to certain things because it resonates well with us, but it probably resonates with other people who are like us as well, which is great. And I think that's fantastic. It's got that's a place. Right. But then, if you want other people who are different or, or have a different way of thinking or challenge your thinking, it's I think it's it can be challenging to find that. But at the same time, you need to seek it out. You need to be uncomfortable in those positions. And yeah. that's when you know that that's probably going to give you the that's most, right. I say value, but it's, it's going to give you a tremendous amount of value. That's right. Yeah. Finding the people who think like you. Yeah, so. absolutely. Um, the theme for this year is called challenge your comfort and mm. you use both of those words in the, in the sentence. So it's just become comfortable being uncomfortable. Oh, basically. I love that. I love that that <laughs> actually, that actually, that leads really, really well. Actually, I might skip the questions because I do want to kind of rift on that for a sec, but what mantra or inspirational quote has most changed your life and why? And maybe even specifically, where did you first hear it? If you remember? Um, certainly the one I touched on before, but I'm not going to talk about that anymore. Twenties are for learning, thirties are for earning. Mm-hmm. Um, Another one that uh, I really loved, which I heard when I was 20, was live every day as if it was your last, but not enough to spoil tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and that sort of, you know, trying to, you know, appreciate the moment. Mm-hmm. Don't look forward too far. Don't look back too far. Seize the day and try to make every day as good as you possibly can. Mm. Um, and not leave any stones unturned thinking that tomorrow you'll do it because mm-hmm. maybe tomorrow might not be there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we could look back at this time, hopefully not, but look back and go, fuck, this was the best time of our lives. You know, and so why didn't we do everything now? You mm-hmm. know, so just, um, but then doing things that are not, you know, going to put tomorrow and the future and family and all this sort of stuff in danger. So, um, yeah, I've, I've always really liked that one. It's just been that daily motivator to, 
get more out of today. Mm, fantastic. And I wanted to segue into that one and skip. We'll go back to the next question here in a sec. But because being uh, being comfortable with being uncomfortable is actually, I'm, I'm absolutely delighted you said that because that's one that has sat with me over the last little bit and is becoming my quote. I'm using, trying to use those subtle ripples in my life and go, oh, I'm uncomfortable. Good. Yeah. Lean into it. That's just right. Try to find that, search for it, understand it. Yeah. And that has been a big, it's been a real challenge for me. And back to that theme yeah. I talked about earlier, how I think I failed because I've been, I've had a fear of failure. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's okay. It's okay to, un, uncomfortableness is the start of trying to overcome that and start to change that. That's so, right. Fantastic. So just talking about that, um, you know, I look back at my, my whole life. And the only things I can really remember was when my emotions were not normal, mm. you know, where I was feeling scared, you know, excited, ecstatic, um, nervous. And, and so that feeling of nervous is one that pops up more often than not, I'm being scared. So, mm. you know, so I've realized, you know, the times when I was accepted a mega public speaking gig and I've been out the back just going, why the fuck did I do this? <laughs> you know, and stepping out and being like, this is so terrifying. Mm. But then looking back and going, wow, that was just one of those crazy experiences that you did. Mm. You know, um, there's just, you remember the parts because of your life when you're feeling uncomfortable, when you're mm. feeling nervous. And it's like, create more of those. Absolutely. More experiences yeah. where you're feeling like shit, you know, I do it all the time now, like mm. all the time. And amazing to imagine too, it gets maybe not easier, but back to that sort of triangle where you, you put yourself in those scenarios, you develop better framework, you're happy. Absolutely. And again and again. And Absolutely. Again. Yeah. And, and even like the minute after, you know, so you do something that's challenging and scary mm. and life's amazing and relaxed, you go, you know, wow, <laughs> let's have a beer, let's celebrate. You, yeah. know? you almost pop out feeling, you know, high. Absolutely. For the next, you're going to make another sales call. I mean, right, right, yeah. right, the energy, yeah. <laughs> Good memory. Fantastic. Um, what gives you a disproportionate return on, um, excuse me, what gives you a disproportionate return uh, of your investment in time and energy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great question. Um, I, I think, you know, I've been really getting into meditation Fantastic, in the last yeah. sort of five years. What's your meditation practice, if you want me asking? No, that's all right. So I do, there's two different meditations that I, I practice. Um, one is called Kriya, um, and it's a um, very heavy breathing technique. It's quite repetitive, but it's very breath-focused. Um, it's quite hard work mm-hmm. and quite requires a lot of energy but then when you you know when you that stop breathing mm-hmm. it's just like mind-blowing oh, so, so is it just you, you do a lot of heavy breathing focus on sort of uh, and then you hold your and then after you hold your breath so it's sort of the you actually don't hold so you we the theory is that breath we get energy from three sources food rest and air mm-hmm. breathing breath so what we do is we drive more breath into our lungs and get both lungs going and um, exhale toxins, inhale energy. Mm. And we do that repeatedly um, and we're basically, you know, I won't say overdose, but we um, it completely... It, fires up mm. the, the, the body and you have this oxygen flowing through once we stop it's when i say stop it's not hold your best up just mm. go back to breathing normally you you get this incredible buzz mm. uh, and then you can you know you do a little lie down for 15 minutes and you come out and you're just mm. so 
pumped to do shit. Um, you know, I can clean this whole house in, in under 20 minutes. <laughs> um, but I'm very clear and I'm getting very centred and, you know, very in the moment. Um, so that's uh, the first technique. That's the one that I've been practising for the longest. And the other one um, is transcendental meditation, which is, mm. you know, it's exactly the same um, as, sorry, Vedic meditation, which is exactly the same as transcendental mm. meditation. Um, and uh, we've, you know, at Taboo, we built this app for, for a guy called Johnny Pollard, One Giant Mind. So we, oh, yeah. we got right into, uh, into understanding more about that. Um, and, you know, I, I did my course with Johnny and, and it was a completely much more passive and relaxing kind mm. of meditation than this hardcore breathing. Um, but for me, they both have a place. I mm. probably study, you know, probably practice the Vedic meditation more because mm. it's easier. Um, and I can just, you know, literally put my foot up, you know, put my, tuck my feet up underneath me on the couch after running um, and, and carry out, you know, a little meditation in five minutes is better than nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly when I do it, I'm able to hit my work again harder. So sometimes in the afternoon I'm running out of steam, running out of energy. I'm, my, I'm exhausted in my mind and I'm not getting, not being very productive. I spend five minutes on that and all of a sudden, bang, I can mm. blast out the rest of my work. Fantastic. I'm, something I, I'm very big into meditation as well too is the the Headspace app, and but it's becoming a, it's becoming a very much a, a bit of a theme. I kind of I kind of figured that that because I think one of the things that underpins a lot of this is mindfulness as well too. Both you, you you know you, you got to be aware of your emotions, what's causing you to be stressed, what's causing you that anxiety sort of thing, so you can sort of take a step back and be a bit more analytical about okay, well, what is what am I worried about? What what is the worst that can go? What really is the worst that can happen? That's right. That? But if you don't have that basis to pull back from, then you're That's just right. sort of this bit of a bundle of nerves that can be it can be challenged. So yeah, exactly. Um, I guess just coming back to that, um, tell us a bit about your morning routine. Yeah, um, the morning routine is is critical like for me that is um you know you can change your life by changing your morning and I've got some really you know good theories that I've learned from from my years of listening um one of the things it's pretty obvious I like to get to bed early mm-hmm. <laughs> so that I can wake up early what time do you usually go to bed these days 10 o'clock that's all right that's pretty yeah. that's not too late or not yeah. too early yeah. yeah so 10 o'clock um try and get to sleep, you know, by 10.30. Mm. Um, so I've got these apps on my phone reminding me, get to bed, get mm-hmm. to bed, get to bed. Um, if I get to bed at 10.30, I don't, I can wake up easily at 6 o'clock or, you know, I've had this thing where I like to wake up at 5.59. I read I like that. To see, I like to see at 5 o'clock and then the 5 at the beginning. Um, so set the alarm for 5.59, get up, um, I do go to the gym um, or go for a, a run mm-hmm. um, and um, as part of my morning routine I do these exercises called the five rights which are Tibetan yoga basically it's five stretches and it's core strength and mm-hmm. core flexibility but it's quite um, you know uh, uh, lots of movement involved mm-hmm. and that is because I've sort of managed this bad back over my life I've got to deal with it but in a way it's kind of a good thing because it means I have to train mm-hmm. I have to keep my back strong and, and flexible so I do the five rights in the morning I do my, my gym session um, then I, I'll come back here I'll do 15 minutes to 20 minutes of meditation um, again most of the time it's Vedic meditation and I just do it out there on the couch um, so that usually gets me to around 7.45. I have a quick breakfast. 
This is the important one. I watched um, uh, Warren Rusden and um, who wrote the four-hour work week? Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss. Once upon a time, we had an EO event and Warren Rusden spoke before Tim Ferriss. They both said the same thing. And I've listened and done the same thing. No news in the morning. Mm. 90% of it's negative. No emails. You can't control what people are, and what email you're going to get that's just going to trigger off a bad start to your mm. day. Um, no text messages, no calls. So control your day. Have your day like owned by you. The start mm. of the day is owned by you. No social media. There's no point worrying about Absolutely. where everyone else is. Yeah. That just drives anxiety and maybe sort of some sort of paranoia that you're not you know, where yeah. you're meant to be. So I blocked off all of those mediums and things that can gently tap me off my center. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a light breakfast and I walk to work mm. or drive to work, depending if I've got meetings during the day. Mm. Simple. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I yeah. Love it. Fantastic. Andrew, I really appreciate your time today. I think this has been an absolutely incredible conversation and it's great to sit down with yourself finally after watching your fuck up nights and uh, dive a little bit more into it. I think we'll probably have to do a round two in the future. There's probably lots more we can get into, but I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Um, just for everybody listening, um, where can they stay in touch with you to see, uh, see what you're up to? Yeah, cool. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, Andrew McKinnon, M-A-C-K-I-N-N-O-N. Um, I'm also on Instagram, Andy Mac, M-A-C-K. Um, so Andy Mac, 1980, that is the year that I was born, <laughs> is my Instagram handle. Um, and Twitter, A-N McKinnon. Um, and those are the three places I talk. Fantastic. Definitely encourage everybody to go check it out as well too. Yeah. Stay in touch with yourself is obviously your journey of no doubt. You'll probably go through so many more interesting things. Obviously, you're still a young man, so <laughs> many more stories to be uh, to be had and to be shared. So thanks again for your time. Thanks man. very Appreciate much, it. Dustin. Yeah, good times. Thanks a lot. Hi, everyone, and thank you again for joining me for today's chat. Please make sure you jump on Facebook to quickly like and share this podcast episode. If you're not already following me, please take another quick minute to hit that like button so you can stay up to date with all new podcast episodes, exciting announcements, and other things going on. You can find me on Facebook at Project Y2, that's at Project Y and the number two. And you can also follow me on LinkedIn if you're there. Don't forget to share and rate this on wherever you find your podcast episodes. And I look forward to having you join me again for our next Y2 podcast.